0: I want to bid everyone a good evening, certainly a blessing once again to be back at my home congregation, I see so many great familiar faces and smiles, and I'm just so glad that for those of you who have been praying for us, I want to just take that opportunity to thank you for your financial contributions, for your notes of encouragement, and for your love, and showing it on Facebook and other such means of communication. We, Emily and I really greatly appreciate it i like for us now getting into our lesson tonight on reversing the Tower of Babylon. If you'll be taking your Bibles and turning to Genesis chapter 11, we will be studying from that passage. When I think about this lesson, I want us to think about the principle of restoration. I think about how we ought to go back to the Bible. The Bible is, of course, God's inspired word. God intends us to become that which is by means of his very word. And it occurs in various spheres. We see that it occurs in our lives and so to speak in spirituality. We're to develop a better spiritual level. And of course, we should grow as a Christian year by year. Galatians five, twenty two and twenty three talks about developing the fruit of the Spirit. We should grow, of course, in our morals, in doing that which is righteous and doing less of that which is sinful. We are to do that which God commands us in our worship to him in the way that he commanded us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm thankful that here at Bobby Branch we just appointed a new elder, right? That shows me that this congregation is growing because we're continuing to add to the eldership. As some elders may, you know, uh, disembark, we see that there are other new elders who are uh, called to this work. And so that shows me a congregation is growing. We should grow in our discipleship. Matthew 28, we we are to go to make disciples. And of course, we're to evangelize to those who are lost. And so this this helps us to understand what does God intend for us to become? We're to grow and higher and higher, And He expects us to do it by the authority of His Word. As Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I think about the principle of restoration, I think about such men like Josiah, who, the, with whom we find that the Bible was lost and then it's recovered again and they, and it's brought to the king and he says we haven't been following what the word of God teaches and therefore in 2 Kings 22 there's this restoration movement. And in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 we find Paul talking about there will be those who depart from the faith. Well, if you can depart from the faith isn't it the case that you can return to the faith? And certainly that is the case. And so... As we think about restoration, it always needs to be continually needed because we're always, we're never going to be sinlessly perfect. We're always going to be a people who are spiritually growing as 1 John 1, 7 through 9 talks about where to walk in the light. Now, what does it have to do with the lesson tonight? What does this principle of restoration have to do with the Tower of Babel? Well, I hope to explain that connection as we go on. As we... Uh, look at three points tonight. I want us to take a look at the history of Babel. I want us to look at the holiness of God. And then I want us to look at the heavenly reversals. So we were read for our reading tonight, Genesis eleven one through nine. And as you see through this text, uh, we saw, find that many people in our world today, they scoff at the Bible. They think it's a myth. They think it's a, it was made up. They think, oh, it contains these stories that, you know, really didn't happen. They're just fairy tales. Well, friends, that's just not true. The Bible is a historically accurate and verifiable account. Let me give you an idea of this, if if I may. Think about how this Tower of Babel episode, how global it is. And if it was the case that there was one language and then all of a sudden there was multiple languages then you would expect people who migrated to other places to talk about this event. Well, and you should also expect two things. Number one, you're going to find that some stories are not always accurate in every detail. And that's going to happen because human beings, they're not perfect, right? And then false religion's distortions because people are going to add on things. They're going to say it was some god like Baal or Ashtoreth that did this, in which we know that would not be the case. So let me give you an example of the flood. We know the flood really occurred, not just because it's in the Bible, but because geology supports it. But there are also a, a piece of evidence known as the flood traditions. And think about how there's all these different traditions that we have of the flood. And most give uh, some, different, some different details, but some share a lot of similar details as you can see on this chart. Well, it's the same thing with the Tower of Babel. you find all across the globe all these different, so to speak, legends of the Tower of Babel. I mean, look at our picture and you can see it stretches from North America all the way to Polynesia let me just give you some examples of these so the aztec legend says humanity was wiped out by a flood but one man this is a good name to give your child if you're naming him coxocatlli and one woman a quetzal escaped in a boat and reached a mountain called Colahucan. they had many children who were dumb until the time when a dove on top of a tree made them the gift of languages but these differed so much that the children could not understand each other now as you can see that's a little that's a different from what we see in the bible And you can find this in the Maidu natives. Suddenly in the night, everybody began to speak in a different tongue, except that each husband and wife talked the same language. Then he called his tribe by name and sent them off in different directions, telling them where they were to dwell. And then there's one called the Quenches legend. When the tribes multiplied and left their old home to a place called Tuan, here the language changed, and the people sought new homes in various parts of the world as a result of not being able to understand each other. And as you can see... This is found in many other places, and I would like for you to get this book called The Tower of Babel. It's a really good book, and he gives a lot more of these so-called legends. But I want to give you my favorite one, and I want to just go ahead and tell you that Brother Dave Miller, he wrote an article on this, and it's a really good article. And what it was is uh, when we were over in Korea, uh, there's a sister in Christ that told us about this Korean story. And I thought, wow, this would be great to tell Dave Miller since he works in apologetics. And so he took the time to write this article. And I just want to give you the Cliff Notes version of it. Basically, uh, in uh, Korea, when we think about Korea, there was a dynasty known as the Joseon Dynasty. And as you can see here, it was from 1392 to 1897, so over 500 years almost. And then we find that, you know, Korea was really cut off from the rest of the world. Europeans really thought it was a very mysterious place because they really didn't know about it. So in 1653, there was these Dutchman salesmen who were just sailing along, and they shipwrecked on the island of Jeju. Now, Jeju is an island that's south of South Korea, and I know it's hard to see this, but um, as you can see, this little island right up there uh, is where where they shipwrecked. And they were supposed to be going towards Japan. So they were kept, uh, here's a better picture of it, right here. And there's actually nine churches of Christ that are located there today. So they shipwrecked on this island. There were 36 survivors and the natives took them. They took them and transferred them to the capital of Seoul. And there they were there for 13 years. Now think about that. And then there were people. Eight survivors who escaped, and one of them was named Hendrik Hamel. Hendrik Hamel was able to tell about his account in Japan. And this is the first Western culture account that we have. And as you can see, this is a statue of him. And on the right, we have, uh, of course, it's writ- written in Dutch, but that's his journal. So he provides this account on religion, and he talks about Confucius monks and here 's what one of the beliefs he mentions about. Him. many monks believe that long ago all people spoke the same language. but when the people built a tower in order to climb into heaven, the whole world changed. very interesting, very interesting, and of course, that supports the facts right of what the Bible teaches. There was at one point one language, but then sadly, the people constructed this tower, and then their languages they tried to climb into heaven. it changed. And sadly, it affected the entire world. What can we learn from this first point of the historicity of the Bible? I want us to gain the point that we if we can know the Bible is always right. It's always right in everything that it talks about. Whether you're talking about science, whether you're talking about history, geography, you name it, it's always right. Because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says. Now moving on to the holiness of God. We know that it, The Tower of Battle did occur. But why did it happen? Why did it occur? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this. Remember, this is right after Noah and his family disembarked from the ark. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, as you can see, this is kind of the similar language that we find in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 in regards to Adam and Eve. So there's this recommission, so to speak. Now, since the people, uh, Noah's family, were to, so to speak, go into all the world, so to speak. But, as you can see, when we were reading Genesis 11, verse 4, the people who were gathered at the Tower of Babel, he says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You see how they're disobeying the command of Genesis 9, 1? What does this mean for us? Why, why, were, why was this language given? Well, because three reasons. They rejected God's command. That's simple enough. John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. There is this connection between love and obedience. And obviously, the people at the Tower of Babel did not have love for God because they were disobedient towards God. They also didn't have any faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if you have faith, you're going to trust and obey God's will. So there's rejection of God's command. There's a, rejection, a rebellion against God. I mean, here are these people who say, we're going to promote our own name. It's about us. It's not about God. That's very unfortunate. And from all indications, it seems like they're not even going to show any signs of repentance. They're not going to change their mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of action. So they're not willing to change. But God commands men to repent, but these people aren't willing to show any repentance. So what do you do with the people who are so rebellious, who are not willing to change? Well, we see that's why God uh, changed their language from one language to multiple languages. So when we think about the holiness of God, I want us to think about that part of God's character is that He is holy, and we don't. I think I don't think we emphasize this enough that God is a holy God. The world needs to have a balanced view of God. We know that God is love. We know that He's merciful and forgiving, but He's also a God of justice. He is a God who will punish the evil doer if they do not repent. Look at Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine. Where the Father says to the Son, Jesus Christ, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Jesus hates wickedness. Jesus loves righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the call of ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah. And it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him and cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the holiness of God, and he saw how unholy he was. That's why when we talk, think about this principle of restoration, we need to restore ourselves to the view of God and that He is holy. And if we do that, we will see what sin really is. We will see how it is so terrible, so harmful to us, and not and is also how it is towards God. So you see how unrepentant sin cannot be tolerated in God's holy presence. That's why God must banish those who are not sanctified in His sight. And I just want us to think about the seriousness of sin. This is why, why at the Tower of Babel, their language was changed into multiple languages. Think about John three nineteen through 21 This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Jesus came into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may have been done in God. You know, fit Isaiah into this, for example. Isaiah was a person who saw, I'm exposed to the light, and I realize what I am. I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. Oh, Lord, cleanse me, please. And he was. And we need to see ourselves. We need to see how serious, serious sin is in our lives. I want us to think about this for a moment. You see, if we go on with unrepentant sin, with sin still on our souls, then friend, if you die in that lost condition, then it will be eternal hell. Now, here's the thing about hell. Some people are teaching a very different view of hell today. They want to teach what's called annihilation, where basically, you go to hell, boom, that's all there is to it. Really? You know, Jesus was the one who talked about hell more than anyone else. And he talked about how great a punishment it really is. And I want you to think about these verses with me. I don't see how in any way annihilation can be true. Look at Revelation 14, 7 through 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Notice this. They have no rest day or night. They have no rest day or night. I mean, if, if annihilation is true... When there, there, in a sense, be rest because there's nothing left of you. But so I just don't see how annihilation could be true. Look at Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. How does annihilation fit into this? Friends, it doesn't. And so we know that God is holy. And we need to recognize the seriousness of sin. And we need to recognize that if we do not repent, and if we do not have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, which occurs through water baptism, then friend, we're going to stand stand before God, and He's going to banish us to that dark and terrible place. Now God does not want anyone to perish. He wants all men to come to repentance. Now that leads us to our third point. The reason I want us to talk about this principle of restoration with the Tower of Babel is because we should not be like the people at the Tower of Babel. We should not be a people who are, have callous hearts, who have rebellious hearts towards God, but to be a people who are like the people in Acts chapter 2. The people who were made a part of the church of Christ on the day of Pentecost. You see, what I believe what's happening here and what Luke is trying to intend to show us is that there's some heavenly reversals going on. We see that God's judgment was brought about in sometime between 2400 and 2200 B.C. when the Tower of Babel occurred. But there's this reversal going on where God's showing His mercy and love and grace in A.D. 30. He's showing it in Jerusalem. And it's expanding. The Gospel is expanding across the world. And I want us to look at the first reversal. The first reversal is this that God, at the Tower of Babel, God restrained evil with the languages of confusion. You see that he restrained it because he 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 what he did was he kept people from finishing that tower and they left. But then what we see occur is that God unleashed good at the on the day of Pentecost. He unleashed good because he was able to put the Holy Spirit "...upon the apostles, and the apostles spoke with these languages they never studied before, and they were able to communicate with the people there that were from all different places." Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. We'll just read a part of this. It says, "...when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them." And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That filling the whole house is a very interesting term. It's, kind of, it's used in the Old Testament. First Kings, uh, well, actually in Exodus chapter 40. You remember, God's glory came down and dwelt among the people at the tabernacle. God's glory came down in First Kings chapter 8. When Solomon built the temple, God's glory came and dwelt in it. Well, here we have the new temple, God's true temple, Jesus Christ. And in the Holy Spirit, He who is, who is God Himself, God's glory, so to speak, is coming down. And so we see the, the temple forming. And it brings about, of course, the apostles into it. And, of course, the 3,000 were baptized into Christ and were added to this true and living temple. As we find in 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, we are a part of that temple of the Holy Spirit, and then in verse three, uh, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. It's very interesting. This is kind of used in one of these intertestamental books. Uh, there was the book called First Enoch, where in First Enoch, which is not an inspired book, but Enoch saw this uh, very interesting this temple, this heavenly, this vision of a heavenly temple, and he saw these tongues as of fire. And I think that what Luke is trying to connect to us is that this is the new form temple that's coming down. And so verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so these languages, as you can see, they're not ecstatic utterances as the Pentecostals teach. They're actually intelligible languages that people understand. Look at also verses 2, verse, keep it going. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. You see how this is a reversal of the Tower of Bible? I mean, think about it. Every nation under heaven. Well, how did the nations form? They formed from Genesis chapter 11, didn't they? When the, we had the new languages, people migrated elsewhere. But now the languages, the, sorry, the nations have come together. They're hearing these languages from the Apostles. And they, what's funny is they're confused because they're hearing every apostle speaking in their own language, the wonderful works of God. And so it's bringing about a unity. There are going to be people who are added to, a, to the saved group, the church of Christ. Every nation under heaven can be added to the one church that Jesus built. And then verse 7, they are, they are all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look! Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Second reversal. God used languages at the Tower of Babel to prevent man from promoting his own name. They said, hey, we want to promote our own name. Come, let's make a name for ourselves. But the reversal in Jerusalem is this. In that God used languages to promote the name of Christ, that it's through the name of Jesus Christ that everyone can be saved. Now, look at Acts 2, verse 13 through 21. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocked and said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the leaven raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my mid-servants and all my maid-servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that last part in bold, that's been taken out of its context, hasn't it? You can go on Highway 55 and you can see, still see a sign there. It's been there for many years. That people, who, whenever they read the sign, they think all you have to do is just call on Jesus' name in prayer. And right then and there, you're saved. Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, as you can see in Acts 22:16, 16, look at Ananias. What did he tell Saul? He said, and now why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. You see how we call on God's name? It's through baptism. Because you realize you're a person who has been separated from God and you're in need of the blood of Jesus Christ. How can you come into contact with the blood? It's through baptism. That's what God's term of condition is. In 1 Peter 3.21, there is also an anti which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we should be humble enough to say, I am in need of God's grace. I'm in need of Him to save me. And Jesus will. He will do it in baptism. That's what Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 talk about. Our third reversal from the Tower of Babel, you see, is that proud men tried to build their way above the water in disobedience. Now, this comes from Josephus. He was a Jewish historian in the first century, and sometimes he can get a little carried away and he'll make some exaggerations. And this is what he was writing in regards to the Tower of Babel, but he kind of makes an interesting point, and I just want to bring out this point to show something that we can learn from it. He says now it was Nimrod who excited them, talking about the people at the Tower of Babel, to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his power. He also said he would be revenge on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. For that, he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach. So according to Josephus Nimrod, he wanted to build this tower. So, hey, if God sends a global flood again, hey, this this tower will be so high, it won't be able to drown us. Well, there's something we can learn from this, friends, is that in Acts chapter 2, there were humble men who were dependent upon God, who were in need of salvation, and what they did was they were plunged beneath the water in faith and obedience look at acts chapter 2 verses 37 through 41 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do peter said to them repent let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for remission of your sin, of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit and in verse 41 then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then our fourth reversal. The fourth reversal is this. At the Tower of Babel, there was rebellion of man was brought to end for a little while, right? Because people are still rebellious back then and even today. But we see as a case that there was a reversal that took place in Pentecost. And that is that God's work through Christ had begun and is still continuing even today. Look at it, Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They continued, those who were baptized, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You realize how simple it is to understand what the early church did? So simple. I don't see why people try to make this so complicated. We are to continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Why? Because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's why we're to give heed to them. Because they were under direct guidance by the Holy Spirit. And also in fellowship. We're in fellowship with those who are in Christ. With those who have obeyed the true gospel of salvation. In the breaking of bread. It's obviously what is referring to the Lord's Supper. In fact, the original Greek has in the breaking of the bread. And so, according to Acts 20 verse 7, we gather together to Partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday, only on Sunday, because that's what our Lord commands, and it's great to know we have that fellowship with each other when we're partaking of that great memorial feast, and then we're to do so. We're to pray together, and that what a Christian family does. We pray together, and we're to also have fellowship with one another, and we're to be a light in our shining. In, that's shining in our community. We're to have favor with the people so that we can influence them to become just Christians. And so, as you can see, at the Tower of Babel, unfortunately there was confusion. Unfortunately there was discord. There was this division. There was the development of nations. But now we see the nations are brought together together And they were brought together through the one church that Jesus built. And that work still continues today in Nicaragua. It still continues today in Korea. And even here. Let us continue to do that through what God has commanded us today. And so I want to ask you this question. And I want you to really honestly think about this. Think about what we've talked about. We want to be a people who go back to the word of God. And if we're that kind of people we're going to be the people like on the day of Pentecost. We're not going to be like the people at the tower of Babel who were rebellious, who were prideful. Let's be like the people on the day of Pentecost who were humble enough to realize they were in need of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're not to be a selfish people. That's what they were doing. They were so selfish. They were so full full of themselves when they should have been full of God, full uh, of glorifying God, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. They were causing discord. Are you causing discord among the brethren? Are you causing discord among others? Or are you striving about for that unity as Ephesians chapter 4 talks about? Are we a people who are racist? Do we really care about other peoples who speak different languages than us or who have a different color of skin. As we can see through history, there are people who have always been prejudiced, but we're to be a people who love everyone because we're made in God's image. Are we promoting our own name? Or are we going to promote the name of Jesus Christ? Are we going to show rebellion against God? Or are we going to show obedience towards God? The choice is up to you. The decision is yours. Please don't be like the Tower of Babel. Please be like the people on the day of Pentecost who were added to the church. You can obey the gospel tonight like they did in Acts chapter 2. Believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. Or maybe you're a child of God and you realize your life is not right. Please, make it right. While together we stand and sing the invitation song.